and be seated. I love uh, Easter in the South. I love the pastels and the pinks and the seersucker. And uh, if you're lucky at church, you always may get to see a hat on a woman. Uh, is that not cool? I always, I always used to love it when I was a kid, except my mom. Uh, we had four of us children, and so she made our Easter outfits. Any of you, amen, you remember those days? Uh, and it all came from the same cloth, okay? I mean, uh, uh, the suits were the same lime green that my sister's dress was and my mom's dress was. And uh, those are some great memories. Too bad we don't experience that anymore. Some of you will never get to see that. And so, uh, But we come to celebrate Jesus Christ. And in uh, the early church, whenever they would gather together in church, one of their greetings, was to say that Jesus Christ is risen. And whenever someone would say that, the response is, He is risen indeed. And I've been trying to get you to do that for the last seven years. And uh, uh, some of you have got it, some of you haven't. And so if you believe that this morning, then we declare it, that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen, amen. And in more than just words, we celebrate that that victory over death has been achieved, that life has won. That's the whole message of Easter, is that the cross was not the end, that death was not the end, but that death was defeated, that the grave was defeated, that sin was defeated. And you and I celebrate resurrection this morning because that means to you and I that one day when we face death, one day when we face the end of this life as we know it, it's not the end. Because that grave has been defeated. We will experience abundant, eternal life with our Savior. And that's what we celebrate this morning. I want you to, uh, everybody take a, a big, deep breath. Now breathe out. Now take another deep breath and this time smell. Did you smell that? Not the guy next to you, not the cologne. You know, it's funny how our senses have memories. You know what I mean? Each of our senses has a, a memory that we store things. When we, when we touch something, it stores it. And, and later on in life, when we touch something, we remember. It brings back a memory of things that we've touched. When we see things, when we hear things. You, some of you, you hear a song and later on in life, that song comes back to you and it, and it reminds you of a time back before. You see something, it reminds you of something that happened in your past. And, and so we store things according to our senses, and we store things according to our smell. We, we remember smells. Uh, you could probably remember what Christmas smells like to some of you. Maybe Christmas of your childhood. I can remember as a kid, we would go to my grandparents. And so every Christmas, I can remember uh, my grandmother would get up early and make breakfast. I can remember the smell of Christmas morning to me is that mixture of Christmas tree and, and coffee and bacon and all of those things in my grandmother's house in a big bed. And anytime I smell coffee, Anytime I smell bacon, I, I can remember those times. I can remember summers of my childhood when I smell rain falling on a hot concrete. It, it reminds me of times that I had when I was a child. All of us have memories, memories of places, memories of events. But the question I want to ask you this morning is, what does Easter smell like? What do we think of when we, when we smell and we think of Easter? Maybe spring flowers. And let me just say, uh, the ladies that did the flowers uh, and the decorations this morning, they were wonderful and beautiful, and they did an incredible job. I'm so thankful for that. But maybe, you know, you, you think of the smell of flowers in spring when you think of Easter. 
Maybe you think of chocolate and candy and uh, all of that candy that the Easter Bunny maybe brought. and uh, That is your Easter smell memory. What does Easter smell like? Matter of fact, let's take it even further. What does the resurrection smell like? I mean, we know what funerals smell like. Any of us that have ever been to a funeral, we know what death smells like. You go into a funeral home and it has that smell that brings back memories of times that you've been there. But, but that's not Easter. See, Easter is the empty grave. Easter is the resurrection. So what does Easter smell like to you? Well, I think Paul gives us a little hint this morning in our passage. We've been studying through the book of Ephesians. And in our passage in Ephesians, he, he gives us a little hint of what I think Easter smells like and what I think Easter should smell like this morning. So if you have a Bible, if you have your order of service, I want you to turn there, Ephesians chapter 5. And I said, we've been walking through Ephesians now for several months. And I want you to think about the smells of Easter and that memory of the smells of Easter, and especially the smells of the resurrection, as we see what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5, 1. He says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as, for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering. That word there means a beautiful scent. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 1, when the children of Israel were developing their relationship to God after the original covenant, they had five offerings that they had to present to God. The first three were pleasing offerings, and they were the, the burnt offering. They would sacrifice a burnt offering to God. And when they did that, that symbolized their, their whole lives. They were giving everything. Everything was burnt. Everything was dead before they experienced their covenant with God. And so they would offer a burnt offering. Then they would offer a, a meal offering. And the meal offering symbolized their work and their life and everything that they did. And then they would offer a peace offering to God. And that peace offering symbolized their relationship to God. And the reason I tell you that is because later in Leviticus, at least 10 times, it says that those offerings were a pleasant aroma to God. Same term that Paul used here, a sweet smell to God. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us that whenever it says a sweet smell, a pleasant aroma to God, he's talking about things that please God's heart. So in reality, what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 5 is that Christ's sacrifice is a sweet smell to God. It is pleasing unto God. So what is the smell of Easter? It's the sacrificial gift that Christ gave you and I. But Paul takes it even deeper. You see, Paul just doesn't say it's that act. If you go back and look at Ephesians 5.1 there in your, your verse, it says it is the act of his love. See, God looks at his motivation. You see, what got Jesus to the cross? What got Jesus to the resurrection? It was his love for you and I. John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believeth in him should have life. And you see, it is that love that motivated Jesus to sacrifice himself. 
Jesus didn't just love those that, that earned it because nobody could earn it. Jesus didn't just love those that he thought were worthy because nobody is worthy. Jesus loved the entire world, but yet he loved each of us as individuals. So much so, it, he was willing to give up his life and face death so that we might live. And, and what Paul is saying is that is a sweet smell in the nose of God, a sacrificial love. And so what is the smell of Easter this morning? It's a sacrificial love. It's a love offering gift to God. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is that for us to experience the smell of Easter, the real smell of Easter, it requires love. If you look at Ephesians 5.1 there, he says something he says, dear children, and then he throws a therefore in, and I've told you, anytime you see a therefore, you've got to go back and look back and see uh, what he's talking about. He's bringing it in context. And so he says, in light of all that we've been talking about, I want you to be imitators of Jesus. You see, for us to experience that sweet smell, we have to imitate Jesus. We have to mimic Jesus is the word there that it's used. I, some of you know, I just got back from Disney World and uh, I had a wonderful week with my kids, and it it's always brings back great memories. And my kids aren't kids anymore. They're 16 and 18. So it's a little different experience for them. And, but we try to go back and do the things that we did when they were children at Disney World. And uh, it, it, was just, it was a great time for me as a dad, one last time really, to experience my kids and through their eyes see all that goes on at Disney World. And so we did all the, the things that you're supposed to do at Disney World. But one of the things I wanted to do uh, is they've got a whole new area there for Frozen and Frozen you know, I, I preached a message on Frozen last year, and I lo love the movie, and uh, I'm kind of tired of the songs, but I still sing along. And, and you know, uh, but, but, you know, they've got a whole section there, and they've got Elsa and Anna, and you can go get your picture taken with them. Uh, well, my 16-year-old didn't want to, but I wanted to, so we got in line. And, um, you know, and, and it was like a 45-minute wait to get your picture taken with Elsa and Anna. And so there were my 16-year-old and I and all these little girls dressed as princesses uh, waiting in line. And, uh, and you wait in line, and they take you through and you come into this special room and there they are and you know they're standing there and there's a photographer there and uh and so I I swallowed my pride I was going to get a picture with them for the children in the CDC and um but I, I decided, no, I'll, I'll let Cassidy go, and she, she can get a picture. So I stood back and was taking pictures. But I noticed when Cassidy went up to meet Elsa, uh, she, she walked up, and, and other people were doing stuff to the side. And so her and Elsa just started talking. They were, they were just conversating. And, and I thought, man, that is cool. That is so cool that, that here's Elsa. I mean, she wasn't posing for pictures. She didn't rush her through. She was just talking to her, and they were just going on. And I thought, well, maybe she's talking to her about high school or talking to her about life or, you know, everything is going through here. And, you know, I was thinking this is just so I was snapping pictures and the guy's snapping pictures. So Cassie came before she went and met Anna. And I said, what was she saying to you? What were y'all talking about? She said, Dad, it was weird. I said, what do you mean it was weird? It said she was Elsa. I said, well, yes, she was Elsa. But what was she talking about? She said, no, she was Elsa. She said, I, you know, Cassie had the little Mickey ears and, and had the polka dots on them. And she said, Elsa said, oh, look, you've got snowballs on your head. She said, I love the snow and I love cold. She said, I used to be scared of the cold, but I'm not scared anymore. And I said, no, she didn't. She said, yes, yeah, she was Elsa. 
And I, I said, that's just weird. And I, I thought, you know, I, I thought, really? And so then she got in line for Anna. And so she went over and she started talking to Anna. And she did the same thing. And so I, I thought, this Cassie's lying to me. I, I said, I'm going to, so I snuck up and was listening. And she's talking about all of this stuff and, and you know, Olaf and all that. And I'm like, what? And then it got to me, I began to realize that they had immersed themselves so into character that when they became Elsa and Anna, that's who they were. And there was no separation. There was no putting off and putting on and taking off. That, that is, that's who they were. And I thought, that's what Paul's talking about here as an imitator of Christ. That my character, that my nature, that who I am is supposed to be so much like Jesus that you can't tell any difference. That there is no off and on. There is no time outs. There is no time for me to go away. That in reality, I become as a child of God, the smell, the sweet smell of Jesus to those around me. And what does that smell look like? It looks like love. You see, for us to experience the aroma of Christ this morning, the aroma of his sacrifice, we have to receive his love, his unconditional, sacrificial love. And if we're going to be imitators of Christ, we are called to give that very same love to those around us. How do we extend the smell of Christ? We love those all over, all around us in our lives and out of our lives. Now we could end there because that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? All of us would say, men, matter of fact, you've all probably heard great sermons on loving people and loving others, giving of yourself. But you see, we forget sometimes what the love of the cross really means. Because you see, a real sweet-smelling aroma of love costs something. You see, for Jesus to give of himself and die on that cross because he loved you, it cost him a lot. See, first of all, it cost him his glory. The Bible says in Philippians that Jesus forsake, he forsook heaven and all the glory of heaven. He left heaven to come to earth to face the scorn and the shame and the mockery of this world. And he didn't do it for nature. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it according to Ephesians 1, 5, 1, because he loved you. He willingly gave up his glory. It cost him physical pain. You don't have to go into all the details of, of knowing what took place at the cross, but just think about that last day of Jesus' life and all of the pain that he went through. Isaiah 53 tells us, but it was by his stripes that we were healed. You see, it's the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so he knew that he would have to willingly pay a price physically with his body to show love. I think probably the worst thing it cost Jesus was his intimacy with God for just a moment. You see, there on the cross, as he uttered his last words, and the sin of mankind fully rested on his shoulders, he became all man. And in that moment, he uttered those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
recognizing that in that moment, the intimate relationship he had always experienced with his dad was gone. Why? Because he loved you. Because he loved me. You see, love is costly. Let me ask you, are you willing to pay the price for the sweet aroma of Easter to be real in your home? For that sweet aroma to be real in your workplace, in your school? If you are, it costs you. See, it costs you your time. Most of us aren't even willing to give up. We're so selfish. Not even willing to give up time to just sit and talk to somebody. To just listen. To just love somebody. May cost you your resources. May cost you having to give to help someone when God tells you. May cause you to give up your reputation. See, so many times we're not willing to love because we're worried about what others might think, what others might do. Let, let me just remind you, the love that Jesus gave us to produce that sweet smell of Easter, it cost him something. But not only was it costly, but the second thing I want you to think about is that sweet smell of love means that we have to love even those that are unlovable. See, it's easy for us to love people that like us, right? It's easy for us to love people that are nice, people that are kind. But Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, while you were still cursing God, he died for you. He loved you that much. This morning, those around the world that are cursing God, that are mocking Christianity, Christ loves them enough to give of himself. You see, if we're really going to love, we have to love even those that are hard to love. See, the Bible says Christ hung out with the unlovable. That includes me. Those that were considered outcasts, those that were considered downcast, those that were considered outside of society's norm, those that were religious in nature but hateful in action. Jesus loved them all the same those that were critical of him, those that mocked him, even those on that last day of his life when they spit on him and they beat him, he said, Father, forgive them. You see, if we're going to be the smell of Easter, the smell of the resurrection, we've got to learn to love those that are hard to love. Probably, if we're honest this morning, every one of us in this room can think of one person that we have in our life that's hard to love. One person right now that has made it difficult for you to love them through their actions, through their words, maybe through something that happened in the past. Why not commit yourself this week that you're going to introduce the smell of Easter to them and love them? How? Well, that brings me to the last thing I wanted you to remember. You see, if we're really going to spread the smell of Easter through our love of others, then it means we have to do it with more than just thoughts and and, and emotion. We have to do it with words. First John 3 tells us, don't just love with emotions and words, but do it with actions and truth. See, God demonstrated his love. Matter of fact, in the verse I just talked about earlier that everyone knows, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, he what? He gave. 
See, you and I are called to demonstrate our love. We're called to show it. We love to talk about it. We love to say, oh, oh, I, I, it's okay. I love her. I love him. But do they know it? Do they see it? Do they, do they feel it? And Paul gives us a great start back to that therefore in chapter 5, verse 1. See, he's talking about all the things that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. All of those things that he mentions up in chapter 4, starting verse 25 down to 32, those are the things he says we can do to show other people we love them. What did he say in verse 25 of chapter 4? He said we need to be genuine and real and honest and open to those around us. You see, you need to understand that when you are real and genuine and open and honest and you let people see you, wounds and all, mistakes and all, uh, flaws and all, guess what? You are the sweet smell of God. Spreading love to those people. How do you love someone? You love them by being real, by being genuine, not by being fake or being pretend or putting on a mask, being genuine. He tells us in verse 27 that we need to control our anger. How do you love somebody with a sweet smell of Easter? You do it by controlling your temper and controlling your anger and not remembering those things that someone has done to you, but letting go of those things, forgetting them. He tells us in verse 28 that, that we are to always speak words that lift others up instead of tearing others down. How can you love others with the love of Easter? You can do it by lifting people up and speaking life into them, encouraging them, blessing them. He tells us in verse 31 to be kind and compassionate. You see, how can you show love to someone else? Be kind and compassionate. And then probably the hardest in verse 32, he says we've got to forgive. See, I want to suggest to you, for many of you this morning, the greatest way that you can spread the aroma of Easter, the message of the resurrection to those that you care about, to those in your life, is by forgiving them. You see, the message of Easter, the message of the cross is love wins. You'll say, what did the pastor preach on this morning? He preached on love wins. Because if you can't remember anything else, you remember that 2,000 years ago when those disciples or Mary and Martha went to that tomb and it was empty. And that angel came out and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? For he is risen. At that instant, love won. And the world may argue with us. And the things that you may see with your eyes or hear with your ears may tell you that's not the case. But I want to tell you that Easter proclaims to our eyes, to our ears, to our hands, to our nose that love wins. You see, even this week in Kenya at that university where those people came in and killed 150 students, love won. Death didn't win. On that beach in Libya a couple of weeks ago when those 20 young men were lined up and their throats were slit as they said, Jesus is Lord. The world may look at that and say, death won, hate won. No, guess what? Even on that beach, love won. Why? Because the cross proclaims it. See, I want you to know that all around the world this morning, love still wins. In Blowing Rock, North Carolina, love still wins. That's the smell of the cross. That's the smell of resurrection. That's the smell of Easter this morning. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. For we are to God the aroma of Christ 
among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. It says, you are the aroma of Christ. To one we are the smell of death, to the other we are the fragrance of life. And then Paul asks this, who is equal to such a task? In the Message Bible it says, we bring the sweet smell of love and life or the smell of death to those around us. That's a huge responsibility. You can't do it on your own. But the resurrection gives us the power. See, church, brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, seekers and searchers, I want to declare to you that not only is Jesus alive, but his being alive gives you the power to love and love more than words, to love more than an emotion, but to love in action. Be imitators of Christ and of his sacrifice. And I long for the day when the sweet smell of Easter not only permeates our, our noses and permeates our homes and permeates our churches, but I long for the day that that love permeates our community and permeates our nation. Who is up for such a task? You are. Let's pray.